There were moments in worship this morning, I hope you felt it, but there were moments where there was just the presence of God was so tangible here. It was beautiful to be able to worship him, being allowed to feel him, because we don't always feel him, do we? Our faith is one, it's a faith that we have. But every now and again, he allows us to feel his presence. And I felt that this morning, and it was just so amazing. So thank you, worship team, for um, just allowing us to sense God. But before I start, I would love us to pray. Could we do that? Because I need help. I don't want my words to just be words this morning. I want the Holy Spirit to come and touch my words so that it makes sense to you. And we need the Holy Spirit to do that. So Lord... As we sit here about to open up your word, we ask that you would come Holy Spirit and you would make up my lack. We ask that you would come and that you would touch mere English words and you would turn it into revelation into people's hearts, Lord. Because Father, at the end of the day, we are here because we want to know you better. We want to see you, Jesus. We want to understand you more. We want to love you more. And I ask that you would help us to do that this morning, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you to Piet and to Ken for just the um, privilege of being able to share this morning. So if you were here last week, we've been looking through the book of Acts, and Piet shared on Acts 27. If you weren't here, I'm going to give you a little rundown so that you can catch up on where we are today. So Acts 27, what had happened was Paul was in Jerusalem and he was making all the Jewish leaders, religious leaders, really mad. He was saying to them, your law cannot save people. We need to put our faith in Jesus Christ and he will save people. And they were getting really angry at what he was preaching. And so they arrested him, and they were about to send him to trial. And Paul said, I'm a Roman citizen, I want to be tried in Rome. So what they did is they put him on a ship. He was under um, the guard's responsibility. He was a prisoner on the ship, and the ship set sail. And on on the way to Rome, a fierce storm came up and caused this boat to be shipwrecked. And the men on board were terrified. They all thought they were going to die. But Paul had this revelation of God saying to him, your boat is going to be destroyed, but all the people will be saved. And so Paul, through his just hearing the voice of God, said to the men, let's jump off the boat. The boat's going to be destroyed, but we're going to swim to shore. And that is exactly what happened. That's what Piet spoke about last week. And I want to pick up on Acts 28, the next thing that happened. It's a great morning for storytelling. When it's cold and rainy, it's just great to tell stories from the Bible, things that have happened that can impact our lives today. And so we're going to continue with that story. We're going to look at the story, then we're going to look at Jesus, and then we're going to go back to the story. So if you can put up Acts 28, 1 to 10, we're going to read it together. So you can imagine these men. They are weary, they're traumatized, they're wet, and they've landed on the island of Malta. Has anyone been to Malta? Just put up your hand so I can see some of you. We went there a couple of years ago, and I loved Malta. It is a fascinating city. 
This is the city we're talking about today that these bedraggled, shipwrecked men landed on, the island of Malta. Acts 28, 1 to 10 says this. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us, all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. The people on this island were very superstitious, and they had many gods. So when they saw that Paul had survived the shipwreck, but now was being bitten by a snake, they said, the gods are out to get him. He must be a murderer, because now this is the second time death is going to try and get him. It was because of their superstition and their worship of many gods that they came to this conclusion. The goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. They had many gods. Now they see this man has survived a viper's bite, and they just add Paul to one of their gods. They go, you can also be one of our gods. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publis, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. I love this passage of scripture. For this simple fact, it's a happy passage. Don't you just love it? There's just happy things that happen in this passage. Yes, there's a snake bite, but Paul recovers from it. It's just happy. People are nice to each other. People are hospitable to each other. No one's been stoned. No one's been martyred. No one's been persecuted. No one's been flogged like the rest of Acts, and there's no shipwrecks. It's just a happy passage of scripture. And then we see a whole lot of healings happen, happening, which makes it even happier. Paul gets healed. Well, the snake bite doesn't affect him. That's one miracle. Then he prays for the official's father. He gets healed. And then the other sick come and they get healed. It's just an amazing, happy portion of scripture. I'm so grateful I got this one to share on this morning. It's an easy one to share on. So it says here in this passage that the islanders, the locals, showed them unusual kindness. And even the authorities on the island showed these men unusual kindness. I want to speak about that this morning. Unusual kindness. What was the unusual kindness they showed him? Well, firstly, they welcomed them. Then they built a fire to warm them up. 
the chief official was so hospitable that he said, you can come into my house and stay for three days. And he gave them shelter and food. Then afterwards, they showered them with honors. We don't know what that is. I'm thinking it's gifts. I'm thinking it's money. But they showered them with honors. And they gave them supplies for the rest of their trip. This was unusual kindness. Normal kindness would have been this. They would have seen the shipwrecked men swimming to shore. They would have said hello, and they would have pointed them to the nearest hotel. That's normal kindness. But unusual kindness is what these men did. And that's what I want to talk to you about. Throughout history, there have been people that have been unusually kind to humanity. I'm sure a few people's names will pop into your mind. Who have been those people that have showed unusual kindness to humanity? Mother Teresa would pop into some of your minds. Perhaps Gandhi would pop into your mind. Do you know what happened when I googled people who have shown unusual kindness? Do you know whose name popped up first? Jesus Christ on Google. Jesus Christ was the top of the list. And then underneath that were the Mother Teresas, the Gandhis, and some others. But his was the first name to pop up. Jesus is one who stands head and shoulders above all others when it comes to unusual kindness. I want to read Romans 5 to show you why. Romans 5, 6 to 8 says this. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will someone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You do not get more unusual kindness than this. We've heard stories of firemen and policemen who have given their lives, lost their lives, when they are trying to rescue the innocent. And that's admirable. That makes us look at the situation and go, incredible. They lost their lives saving the innocent. But what if we were to switch on the news tomorrow and read that someone had chosen to give their life for someone who didn't deserve it? Possibly someone who was rebellious and arrogant and greedy, murderous, Someone who didn't deserve it. What would you do if you heard that someone had stepped in and said, take my life and let that person go free? All of us would question that. Has that person done the right thing? Are they crazy? Why would they give their life for that so that person could go free? We would all question that. Because it is unusually kind. Even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ stepped in your place and said, take me, even though you were the person who was deserving death. He stepped in and took your place. Knowing that you might never surrender your life to him. He died while we were sinners, 
but he knew that some people wouldn't ever receive the free gift that he was offering. He still chose to die. That's unusual kindness. The Bible tells us that he died once and for all people. He died for all people, but not all people receive him. He still chose to die, even though he knew that some would receive him and others would not. He still chose to give his life. This is unusual kindness. Piet, can you um, come up here? I do want to do that illustration, and I can't use my mic. I'd love you to just hold the mic. I've done this before in the church, but I just want to do it again. You know, when we carry sin, when we walk with sin, which we all do, there's a penalty for sin. The penalty of sin is death. And what Jesus has done, he's come and he's taken that on himself. He's taken our sin so that we may go free. And this is such a useful little illustration because if you're sitting in a restaurant with someone or if you're just having coffee with someone and you want to explain the gospel to them in one minute, this is something you can do. We all have our mobiles with us all the time. And I've used this from time to time because it's so simple. It's like this. This is Jesus and this is us. But the problem with us as humanity is we carry the burden of sin. Sin is a very heavy weight that we walk under. And we can do nothing to get rid of this sin. It's on us. We can't free ourselves of us. It's, it sits on us. But what Jesus has done is he's taken our sin onto himself so that we may be free. That is what it, that's what he's done on the cross. Mm. Isaiah says it so well. It says, all of us, like sheep, have gone astray. All of us have gone astray. We all bury the, uh, carry the weight of our sin. But God has put on him the price that needs to be paid. And now we are free. That is unusual kindness. Thanks, love. That is, that is something that should make us sit up and go, why did he do that? It's unusual kindness. In order for Jesus to come to our earth, he also had to leave heaven. Have you ever thought of that? Never mind his experience on earth. He had to leave heaven, all its glory, all its majesty, everything amazing that happens in heaven Jesus says, I'm going to leave that where I have all power and authority. I'm going to come to earth and I'm going to clothe myself in a human form. And I'm going to subject myself to ridicule and persecution and even death on the cross. I'm going to choose to do it. That is unusual kindness. Think of your faith journey that you've had with Jesus over the last couple of years or maybe the last couple of months. If you are anything like me, we've doubted him. We've ignored him from time to time. We've questioned him. We've taken him for granted. Sometimes we've pursued pleasure instead of God's purposes. These are things that we do as we walk with Jesus. Yet he has remained true to us. Yet he has remained faithful to us. Yet his love has never changed. That is unusual kindness. Let's bring it a little closer to home if you are married. God has purposefully brought you and your spouse together. 
I've heard many of your stories. And some of you say, I know God was involved in us coming together. God has purposefully brought you together. Someone that is suitable for you. They're not perfect. We know that. But they are suitable for you. Suitable for life and suitable for God's purposes. God was behind the scenes. Out of his unusual kindness, he brought the two of you together. Do you know that my mom met Piet before I met Piet? She was a sales lady in a shop. And Piet was leading a church and had come down from the town that he was living in and he needed to buy some supplies. And he walked in and he met my mom behind the counter and they started to talk. Now after he had bought the supplies, he walked out again and my mom stood there and you know what she thought? In her head she said, that is the type of man that I want for Jenny. Weeks later, Piet and I bump into each other in a different context. And nine months later, we were married. I always say that God and my mom had a part in bringing us together. There's the purposes of God that are so often behind our plans that is weaving his plan into our lives. It is God's unusual kindness that has brought you together. But marriage can be difficult. And we can sometimes forget that it was God's unusual kindness that put you together, that brought the two of you together. And that's why we need a marriage course from time to time. Just to open up our eyes and go, Lord, help me see afresh again the gift that you've given to me. We all need help. And the marriage course is just going to be a wonderful help to let people see with fresh eyes their spouse again that God has brought into their lives. Another thing that God has done for us sitting in this room is giving us this church in Zug. Do you know that that was just God's unusual kindness? He didn't need to place an English-speaking church in Zug. We could have landed here, all of us, and we could have made the adjustment and gone to one of the wonderful Swiss churches that were out there, but we wouldn't be able to worship in our language. We get to worship in a language we understand. We get to see God doing amazing things on a weekly basis. We get to regularly see God saving people's lives, touching people's bodies. That's just God's unusual kindness. He didn't have to do that. But he placed a church here in Zug, knowing that one day you were going to come. God is unusually kind to us. I want to teach you a Hebrew word. If you've been learning German, forget about your German this morning. We're going to learn Hebrew. And this word is the word hesed. Can you say that? Hesed. Hesed. It's a Hebrew word. The Word of God uses it over and over again. From the Old Testament right throughout the New Testament, we see this word hesed. And this is what it means. It means God's great kindness. It means his mercy. In some cases, the English word is mercy, but the Hebrew word behind it is hesed. In other places, it's his loving kindness. So it's either mercy, love, love, loving kindness, great kindness. 
It's found first when God brings the Israelites out of Egypt. He rescues them from Pharaoh, and then he makes a covenant with them. He says, I'm making a covenant covenant with you. You will be my people, and I will be your God. And the word that is used is hesed. That is the bond that links the Israelite nation to God. And it's the bond of kindness. It's the bond of loving kindness. It's the bond of mercy that's going to carry them through all the things they go through. Hesed. So let's go back to the story. The locals and the chief official were unusually kind to Paul and the other men. Out of that, because they were unusually kind, the gospel is able to touch their lives. When Paul is bitten by the snake and he suffers no ill effects, they say, we're going to make you one of our gods. It doesn't say this in scripture, but I'm almost 110%. Paul would have said, don't do that. I'm not a God. Let me tell you about Jesus Christ who came to die for your sins. He is the only true God. He would have definitely given them the gospel when they tried to make him a God. So the gospel was able to reach these men. And then they invited in, into the chief official's house to stay for three, for three days. He's kind. And Paul ends up healing his father who's sick. And with that, all the other sick from the island come and they get healed. The locals' kindness and the chief official's kindness opened up the way for the gospel to come in. Be aware of those people in your life that are showing you unusual kindness. Someone might spring to mind right now. Who's showing you unusual kindness? Perhaps the gospel wants to reach them. Perhaps like this story, God is wanting to get in there and reach them. Who is showing you unusual kindness? When Piet and I arrived in Switzerland eight years ago, we stay in an apartment block, we're on the second floor, and the people living ab ab above us was a, a couple living together. And they weren't Christians, and we became friends. We became friends very quickly with them. It was an instant friendship. They Swiss uh, couple, and he was just unusually kind to us. Whenever Piet needed help with all of the German forms that started to arrive in the post, he would help us. If something needed to be done in the church, he would come and he would spend hours here fixing something, putting something up, just helping us. He just kept saying to us, ask me if you need help. He was such a help to us in our early days. And then the one day him and I were talking and we were talking about eating healthily and I love veggie smoothies and fruit smoothies and we were talking about the best machine to make the smoothies and I said, oh, I, I noticed a Nutramix, a Nutra bullet, a Nutra bullet. And I said, but I looked at the price and I thought I'm not gonna pay that for this Nutra bullet, but I would love a Nutra bullet because I can make my smoothies so quickly. So him and I were talking. Two days later, I get home and there outside my front door is a box with a Nutri bullet in. He's bought us a Nutri bullet. That's unusually kind. And over the years, we, Piet spoke to him often about the gospel, 
And then one day, him and his partner came to church and they responded to Jesus, sitting here in the front row. Who has been unusually kind to you? Keep your eyes open for that because possibly God is wanting to do something in their life, just like he did in this story. Do you know, whenever someone is kind to my boys, my heart automatically opens to them. Don't you find that? When someone's kind to your children, you have added affection for them. We are God's children. When someone is kind to us, when someone blesses us, I think he feels the same way. I think he looks down and he goes, look at those people who do not honor me, but they are being kind to my children. And I think something opens up in his heart and he moves in. I can back this up by scripture too. Um, when Abraham, God spoke to Abraham and God made a covenant with Abraham, the Abrahamic covenant. And a sentence in the covenant is this. God says to Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. He was talking about the heathen nations around who would bless Israel. The heathen nations who would be kind to Israel, God was saying, if they bless you, Israel, I will bless them. Do you see how God just opens up his heart to those who help his children? It happened in Acts 27, Acts 28. And I believe God wanted me to say that to you this morning, is who has been unusually kind to you? Don't let it stop there. Let the gospel follow that in some way or another. There's two verses I want to end with this morning. One is found in Micah 6 verse 8. Because if God is being unusually kind to us, there has to be some response from us. There has to be something that happens from our side. And that's how I'd like to end this this morning. Micah 6 verse 8. So the people in Micah's day wanted him, he was a prophet, and they, they wanted him to just give three points of what they should do. I think Micah spoke a lot. And they went, oh, just give us three points. Don't make this so complicated. Just tell us what we must do to serve God. And so Micah gives him three points, and he says this. He has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? Here are the three points that God requires of us. To act justly and to love mercy. That word mercy in the Hebrew is has said the unusual kindness of God. He's saying to people, love justice, act with unusual kindness that you've learned from me, and walk humbly with your God. It's the same word that God uses for himself. He says to us as his people, I want you to go do that now. Has said, people have such an incorrect, crooked way of understanding God today. If you ask someone who doesn't know God, what is God like? They will give you many answers that isn't biblical. Do you know what happens when we show them unusual kindness? Is they get a picture of who God really is. Because God is his said, that's his character. And when we are unusually kind to people, we're giving the world a picture of who God really is. 
That's why this is so important. Jesus says, freely I have given you. Freely you have received. Now freely give. We've freely received the hesed of our almighty God. And now we need to freely give it. When we show them hesed, they begin to see correctly. But I find it amazing that Micah says, this is what you are to do, and it's the very same word. Let's go to Luke 6, verse 27 to 36. I think when we read this, it really talks about the nitty-gritty of showing unusual kindness to people. This is almost impossible, what I'm going to read now. If it wasn't for God giving us the ability to show his said to people, it says this. But to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If someone slaps you on one cheek, turn to them the other also. If someone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them. Give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those from whom you expect repayment, what credit is that good to you? Even sinners lend to sinners, expecting to be repaid in full. But love your enemies, said. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. I'm so glad he is. I was once ungrateful and wicked and he was kind. He is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Be merciful just as your father is merciful. He said, same word. He's saying, be has said just as I am has said. And if you think that this is impossible to do, I want to encourage you this morning. You know physically that all of us have the same DNA genes as our parents. That's why we look like them. If you had to see a picture of my dad, none of you have met him. He's in heaven. You'll meet him one day when we get to heaven. But I look just like my dad because of the genes, because of DNA. But not only that, I do a lot of things like my mom. I have a lot of the same mannerisms like her. We are so similar to our parents, whether you like it or not, and we carry similar DNA and genes. It's the same spiritually. When we come to know Jesus, when we give our life to him, we are made new, and now we are his children. Something changes. Yes, our spirits become alive to God, but something changes in us. We are now his children. We now carry his DNA. We now carry his genes. It means this. If God is able to show his said, so are his children. Because we carry what he carries. It's the spirit of God in us that enables us to act like him. 
And that's why what Micah said to the people, what we read here in Luke, it's possible. Not because we're any good, but because we walk with the Spirit of God in us and we walk with his DNA and we walk with the same spiritual genes that he has. I hope this morning you've got a little glimpse of the Hesed of God over your life. He is unusually kind to his people and he will continue to be unusually kind to you. It's not a one-off thing. It's a covenant he's made with you and he will walk out with you for the rest of your life. The bond is kindness that God has between us and him. But I also want you to be aware this morning who has been unusually kind to you. And think about that. And then let us show unusual, has said, kindness to those around us.